be reading in John this morning. We're focused in on just two verses, verses 14 and 15, but I'm going to be starting at verse 1 of John 1. So I'll be reading the entire first part of John 1, verses 1 through verse 18. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. Father, we pray that you would guide us We are absolutely dependent on the power of your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in your truth. Father, we pray that your word, which is living and active, would continue to set us free and make us alive and guide us and grow us in the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your grace. In Christ's wonderful name. And as we look at 
John chapter 1. As we've been going through John, we see those key terms where John the Apostle has been lifting up Christ. Again, if you go back to verse 1 of John chapter 1, John wants to make clear that Jesus Christ is the eternal word, that everything that was created was created through him. So Jesus existed before anything that has been made, before anything was created. And that's very important because the focus and hope of John in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, is to make very clear that Jesus Christ is God. Fully God. That He is God. Not only that He is God, but He also became completely human. Fully God, fully man. It's going to be very important. Because as you go through the Gospel of John, it all hinges on that. If Jesus Christ was in any way less than fully God, there's no hope for you. Absolutely no hope. If Jesus was anything but fully man, there's no hope for you. Absolutely no hope. So we see God we see where John here is lifting up the necessity of the incarnation of Jesus Christ being 100% fully God and 100% fully man. And this is so vital and so important because that's what's at the heart of the cross. The cross. All this where John is presenting about the birth of Jesus is laying out the foundation for the death of Jesus and what it means that Jesus is the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So again, in verse 1, he is the Word. He was with God in the beginning. He has existed eternally. Uh, verse 4, he is the light. So here you have this introduced in the text that because of the fall, that all who are from Adam and Eve, so that's every human being who has ever been conceived, that they are all conceived and born under condemnation, into darkness. That's the result of sin. So if that is the case, Jesus Christ is the only light, the only way that all who have been conceived and born into sin, in the sin of Adam, it's the only way we could be rescued, that we can be set free, that we can go from under condemnation to become the children of God. So we see that in verses 4 and verses 9. But then you have this interesting dynamic in verses 10 through 13 where it makes very clear how dark is the darkness of this world? So dark that unless God gives you new eyes, unless God gives you a new mind, Unless He gives you a new heart. Unless He makes you alive from the dead. You're going to hate Jesus. You're going to hate God. You're going to hate the things of the Spirit. 
and you will rebel against and revile and mock and shout crucify him along with all those who shouted crucify him when he was under trial with Pilate. That's how dark darkness is. That is how sinful our condition is. And that's why it's made clear in verses 10 through 13 that we looked at. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Couldn't even recognize him. When Jesus Christ came, the world, merely in its wisdom, merely in its strength, merely in its ability, saw Jesus and hated him. That's how the world reacted. Verse 11. He came to that which was his own. This is his own people. This is the Jews who had the promises, had the covenants, had the scriptures. And he came to them. They hated him. They reviled him. They wanted him crucified. They wanted him removed. Because he threatened all the things of the world and of the devil and of the flesh that was there. So that's how dark the world is. The Gospel of John here, you have to, you have to get a grasp of how dark darkness is to appreciate how blinding and saving the light of Jesus Christ. That's the contrast. Dark is that dark, and Jesus Christ is that life-giving of light. So then you have this understanding in verse 13, verse 12, verse 13, where how you go from darkness to light is that God gives you the right to be His child. Now again, that's how dark the darkness of this world is, is that, yes, everyone is in the image of God, but because we are all conceived and born under condemnation, under wrath, because of our sin, we are not children of God. That's a powerful statement. Jesus would go so far to the Pharisees and scribes who were jealous of him, who wanted him removed, who wanted him crucified, that he told them their father was the, the devil. John chapter 8. So he explains that everyone in their state of condemnation, in disobedience, under wrath, that were children of the devil. So here you have this moment where it says, verse 12, yet to all who received him, so to receive means to trust and believe, to see the light and to walk into the light. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then verse 13, how did that happen? Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. The purpose of verse 13 is to make clear our total depravity, the doctrine of total depravity, that each and every one of us 
who are conceived and born. We are conceived and born into sin, and we are in such darkness of heart and mind. We are so blind and so deaf. Our hearts are so hard like stone. And we are under such delusion and deception by the world and the devil and flesh that none of us will receive and believe in Jesus Christ unless God makes us alive. Unless He makes us His child. Unless He gives us a completely new heart, a new mind, new eyes, new ears, and transforms us to the power of the gospel. So when Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father except through me, he isn't just saying that there is no other philosophical or religious system that will work. No, he's saying there is nothing in the world, there is nothing of the devil and demonic, and there's nothing in your fallen flesh that will enable you to come to the Father unless the Son makes you alive. It isn't just that Jesus is the only way. He's the only life. He's the only truth. He's the only light. And outside of Christ making us alive, we are in absolute, complete, utter darkness. Not the darkness like in my neighborhood. Where I live, no matter how dark it is, there's street lights, and especially now where everyone's got their Christmas lights, I could read a book in my front yard. It isn't dark anymore. I'm talking about the kind of darkness where Logan and I were in that deep cave. Remember last summer we got to go spelunking? And we're in that deep down cave. And I said, hey, let's turn our lights off. Something I always like to do when I'm in a cave like that. And we turned our lights off and you could not see your hand before your eyes. And I said, let's leave them off for, for a while. I think we left them off for about three or four minutes. And just after three or four minutes, I had no idea what was right, what was left, what was front, what was back. I, I lost any sense of reality of, of where I was to such a point where I was like, turn the lights on, turn the lights on. I couldn't take it anymore. And they're like, oh, I'm glad you said turn the lights on. I mean, so that's how dark. That's just the kind of image of spiritually how dark and how hopeless and helpless we are. So we need a light that will come in and save us and rescue us. That's, that's what John is doing. That's what John has been doing from verses 1 through verses 13. So now in verse 14, now that he's explained Jesus is the light, as life, as the creator, that he is God, fully God, that Jesus has existed from eternity past. Now in verse 14, the focus now is on Jesus, who is God, becomes fully man. Here's the transition. Now he's going to go to Jesus, who is fully God, now takes on flesh. He becomes in meat. That's what incarnate means. He takes on meat. He takes on flesh so that he can become man. So verse 14, And the Word 
Remember, we saw what the Word is, is the eternally begotten Son of God. This is the Word that was in the beginning. The Word has always existed with God. And the Word, that's Jesus Christ, and the Word became flesh. There it is. He took on flesh. He became a human being. He became a man. And the Word became flesh and pitched His tent. That's what the Greek word is. Most of you have it translated dwelt. But what it is, is pitched His tent. He tabernacled. He pitched His tent among us. That's what, that's what, the, that's what the sentence is in the Greek. And the Word became flesh and pitched his tent among us, took up residence, became present to dwell among us, with us. That's what, that's what verse 14 says. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. And what's so important about John is that you have to believe Jesus was fully God and fully human that he took on flesh so this is becomes vital during our time of the lighting of the advent candles we looked at the luke passage i'm going to go back and read another read some of these verses again from luke chapter one so if you go to luke chapter one you see this understanding of what it means that jesus takes on flesh that he becomes incarnate so luke chapter one starting at 31 it says this again, and behold, this is the angel speaking to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now John has made very clear that Jesus does not begin to be in existence at the birth in the manger. No, Jesus has existed from eternity past that he is eternal, that he is God. But here we see this, where this is this Jesus, the eternally begotten Son of God, the Word of God, is going to take on flesh and be conceived. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Now, right there, you get both aspects of the incarnation. Jesus is the eternally begotten Son of God, the Son of the Most High. There's Jesus in His full divinity and in His full humanity. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His Father, according to the flesh, according to Mary, of His Father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. There's the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. If you don't hold to the Trinity, none of this makes any sense. It is complete nonsense. If, if you don't hold to the understanding that there is one God in three persons. 
So verse 35, and the angel answered, the Holy Spirit, so there's the third member of the, of the Trinity, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So there again, so Luke does the same thing that John is doing of making very clear that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. That is the only saving, true understanding of Jesus Christ. If you are holding to or believing in a Jesus who is not fully God and fully human, that cannot save very important. The Muslim, the Islamic view of Jesus cannot save you. The Mormon understanding of Jesus cannot save you. The Jehovah Witness understanding of Jesus cannot save you. Any system or belief system that does not hold to John chapter 1 verse 14 cannot save you. You are still under condemnation still under wrath, and still bound for eternal conscious torment of hell if you do not believe and understand and receive the Jesus of John chapter 1, verse 14. It's very important for John. So John emphasizes again and again. This is so important for John. So if you go to 1 John, John is just going to keep repeating this. The necessity of believing and trusting Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. So if you go to 1 John chapter 2, this is the same John, same apostle who wrote John chapter 1. Here it is in 1 John. So 1 John chapter 2, because you're seeing in the early church, just as today, there's lots of false teachers and false teachings. And so many of these false teachers and false teachings are trying to either diminish the divinity of Jesus Christ or the humanity of Jesus Christ. These, since, since day one of the church, there's been attacks on both those fronts. So in 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 21, you see where John is standing for this truth, this reality. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So if you deny that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, if you deny both those realities, for Jesus to be the Christ means that he is the Son of the Most High, the Son of God, and that He is the Son of David. To be the Christ ultimately is the incarnation. That you must be truly God and truly human. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the so if you in any way deny that Jesus, the Son, and God the Father are one God, and these are two persons of the three persons of God, that 
he described, that is the Antichrist. That is lying. That is the opposite of truth. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You see how highly important this reality of John chapter 1, verse 14 is. If you continue in 1 John, you go to 1 John chapter 4. He brings up the argument again. And here he talks about testing the spirits. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. From his day to modern day, Muhammad or Joseph Smith or whoever. Verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. There's 1 John 14, exactly. And every spirit, I mean, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus, meaning does not confess that he is the eternally begotten Son of God who completely takes on flesh, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So John makes very clear, any prophet, any prophecy, any teacher, any teaching that does not hold to Jesus Christ as fully God and fully human is the work of the Antichrist. It is the work of the devil and the demonic. It is under the deception of the world and according to the fallen, blind, deaf, hard heart of the flesh. That's why the world could not recognize Jesus Christ. Because it is a spiritual reality through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, if you go down to 1 John 4, verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And again, if you go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, here it is again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's what it said in, in John chapter 1, verse 12. Everyone who do receive him, who believes in his name, God gives the right to become his child. That's 1 John 5, 1, says that again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. It doesn't just stop in 1 John. 2 John, chapter 1, starting at verse 7. You see how vitally important this is. 2 John, chapter 1, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. There it is again. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. 
Verse 8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So John has established this clear truth that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human, that he is the eternally begotten Son of God, and he is in the flesh, conceived in the Virgin Mary by the miraculous power and working and overshadowing of God the Most High as a descendant of David. If you do not hold to and believe and trust in that, if you, as it says in verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead, anyone who says, oh, we, we are more sophisticated now than believing. Or we are more learned now than holding on to that. Or, oh, we, we have such a greater understanding of the Greek and the Hebrew and all the Aramaic in these words to really believe in that anymore. Or that we have just, we have so progressed as a people in society that we no longer have to hold to those things. What does John say? That anyone who goes beyond, that they're no longer with Christ. They're no longer with the Father. They are lost. So if you want to go beyond these doctrines and truths that are written in Scripture, then what you're saying is you want to be free of Christ. You want to be free of God. You want to continue making idols according to your own fallen desires in the ways of the world. So you see how vitally important this is for John. Again, verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, this vital reality of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation in Christ alone, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. You can see how vitally important for John is the reality of John chapter 1, verse 14. That Jesus, that the Word, that the eternally begotten Son, that the light, and that life itself would become flesh and dwell among us is of life and death in Jesus. This is the foundation of the gospel. That's how important this is and how vitally necessary it is as you see it wove through. It isn't just John, the Apostle Paul. If you look at Romans 1, the Apostle Paul is going to begin that entire letter to the Romans, that entire epistle describing 
how it is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, how he begins that entire thing is establishing that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. You see this in Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, starting at verse 3. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, so there is fully human, fully flesh. Verse 4, and was declared to be the Son of God in power. Fully flesh and fully God. According to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. You can see how vitally important, vitally necessary this is. And this is what the prologue, this is what John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13 have been building up to. This moment is the birth, the incarnation of the Son of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father of grace and truth. So the next thing, this as the incarnation is spoken of, the next key word is glory. So what is this glory? What is the nature of the glory that was seen in Jesus Christ? Do not think that the people who were alive when Jesus was incarnate and on this earth, between his birth and his crucifixion, do not think that any of those people had any advantage over you. You may think that they had some advantage, but they actually did not have any advantage. We, who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, have far more advantage than they did. Remember, the vast majority of the people, whether it was the crowds or the scribes and Pharisees, or even take Judas. Judas saw every miracle Jesus committed, every teaching he ever spoke, and he didn't believe. He didn't believe. None of the vast majority of these people of the world, it was only a few, it was only the eleven. And then you had about 72, you had this larger crowd. And then you had some others who, because of fear, weren't willing to come out as believers. But you have the vast majority who there was no advantage. Because what, how dark is darkness? Very dark. It's only if God makes you alive. So what is the nature of this glory? This glory. How is it that they saw the glory of God in Jesus Christ? Well, it wasn't because of how he looked in the flesh. Remember Isaiah 53, verses 1 and true. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, speaking of Jesus Christ, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground here it's speaking of Jesus Christ in his incarnate state in flesh, 
He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So there is nothing of his physical appearance in that flesh that was any more glorious than anyone else. The scriptures make very clear there was nothing of the flesh that would draw or endear anyone to Jesus Christ. That isn't the nature of his glory. The nature of the glory of Jesus Christ, I think, focuses in on the last part of verse 14. And we have seen his glory. So what is this? What is the nature of this glory? And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I think that's the nature of the reality of the glory of Jesus Christ. While he walked, when he came the first time. Now when Jesus comes the second time, that's a different dynamic of glory. When he comes on the clouds and every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. But the glory of this first coming is the glory of this grace and truth that is only seen by those who are made alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus comes the first time, the only ones who have eyes to see and the only ones who have ears to hear the glory of Christ are those to whom God gives the right to become His children. It is the eyes of the heart is how the Apostle Paul describes it. It isn't physical eyes to see this glory when Christ came the first time. It is the eyes of the heart. It is this the eyes of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that gives you eyes to see and ears to hear and new hearts to receive and believe. Why is this? How is it that you can have Jesus, the Word, become flesh and dwell among us? How is it that you have Jesus displaying the glory of God and so many not able to see it? How is that? Because darkness is that dark. How dark is the darkness of the world and the devil and our fallen flesh? Well, I take you to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. This is a very important passage because, again, you have Jesus. That was already established. He is the light. He is life. Everything was made through him. And he's come and taken on flesh Yet so few receive and believe and trust Him. Here He came in the glory of God, yet for so many, they only saw Him according to the flesh. So how can this be? It's 2 Corinthians 4. The Apostle Paul gives us a very... How it is that people could see Christ while he walked on the earth, and how it is that people now continue to reject the truth of Jesus Christ. It's 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the little g God, speaking of the devil, in their case, the God of this world has 
blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing, and here's these very important words, the light, so we're going to go right to John chapter 1. All these words are the key words of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what, what, is the, what is the devil doing? Remember, the Ephesians 2 makes clear our three big enemies, our fallen flesh, that state we are in under condemnation, in disobedience, under wrath. Unless we are made alive and saved out of that, that is the state we are conceived and born in and will remain in forever. Unless we are redeemed and rescued out of that state. So we have our fallen flesh, we have the world, the systems of rebellion and disobedience. That's why again in, in John 1.12 it says, I mean 10, it says he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Why did they not recognize him? He came to his own, they did not receive him. Why is that? 2 Corinthians 4 verse in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Wow. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts. This is how someone goes from death to life. Has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus This is a very important passage, 2 Corinthians 4. Because while Jesus lived and walked, you had those, you had the 11 apostles, you had, you had other followers, you had, you had Lazarus, you had his sisters, you had, you had the three Marys. I mean, you had all these people who when they saw Jesus Christ, because God made them alive and gave them eyes to see, they saw the glory of God's grace and truth in Jesus Christ. And they came to realize He was their Savior. He was their everything. But then you had so many others that could look into the same face, look upon the same person. And all they had in their hearts was pride and hatred and rebellion same Jesus Christ. What was different was the eyes and the hearts and the minds and whether they were looking at Jesus merely according to the flesh or whether they were looking at Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Giving them eyes to see and ears to hear. Minds to comprehend. Hearts to receive. So that is what John is doing in John chapter 1. 
John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is lifting up Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing to the church in Corinth and everywhere he went as a missionary. This is what all the Scriptures are doing in all the Bible. The Scriptures are lifting up the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That's what all the Scriptures are doing. And that's what we are to be doing in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in our families, in our workplaces, wherever we are. This is what we are to be doing to the lost, to the broken, to those who continue to look at Jesus and and because their eyes are blinded, because they continue in unbelief, they continue to hate Jesus Christ. Hatred can look like different things. It's one thing to have someone shake their fist and revile the name of God. It's another thing for someone just to think, well, I don't need Christ. That is just as much hatred as a fist-shaking blasphemy. Anything less than falling before Christ and worshiping Him as your Lord and Savior, as your light and everything, anything less than that is hatred of Christ. Anything less than that. Because Jesus is God. And the only proper response of creatures to their Creator is all praise, glory, honor, reverence, and worship. Anything less than that is pride and presumption and rebellion. So this is the amazing reality of John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and pitched His tent among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one. So the we are the believers. Everyone who receives and believes, who is made alive, we see the glory who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And it's that grace and truth is at the heart of seeing that glory. To see the glory. What does it mean for us? I would just say, dare say, no one here has seen the resurrected, incarnate Jesus Christ according to your earthly eyes. If you have, please talk to me after the service. I'd like to have a conversation with you. But I would hopefully say, dare say, that none of you have. I haven't. Yet I have seen the glory of Jesus Christ as is depicted here. Why? Because I have seen the grace and truth of God, of Jesus Christ, displayed to me in His Word. In His Word. It's the Word of God that leads us and guides us into this grace and truth. How, how powerful is the grace and truth of Christ? That's why John, who is referred to in verse 15, that's why John says this, verse 15, John bore witness about Him and cried out, 
This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. How much before Jesus Christ? I mean, how much before John the Baptist was Jesus Christ? Eternally before. That's a long time. Eternally before. So again, John is lifting up the reality of the eternal reality of Jesus Christ being God, even in those verses. So for me to see the glory of Christ is to understand the grace and truth of Jesus Christ dwelling amongst us. This is what we hope and pray for all our family members and friends who are lost, that they would come to see the glory of Christ now before He comes in His glory at the second coming. Too late! Don't wait till the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ. Do not live in a way of, I'm just going to hold out to see how this all ends. No! You've got to get out of condemnation. You've got to get out from under God's holy just wrath. You've got to go from being a child of disobedience to the love forgiven child of God. Don't wait for anything. Trust and believe. Now, so that you are ready from the glorious second coming of Christ. But what does it mean for us to see Christ's glory now? Well, I think a beautiful passage for that is Colossians 1. The reason originally I was preaching on verses 14 all the way through 18 this morning that was not going to happen because they continued working and developing the text. So thanks be to God, Lord willing, Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 18. What it means that Jesus is grace and truth. But just kind of as an introduction, I'm going to bring that in right now. So Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. Here's the Apostle Paul lifting up the grace and truth and glory of Jesus Christ for those who have eyes to see. Colossians 1, verse 15, speaking of Christ. And you're going to see a lot of the same words as we see in John chapter 1. He, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, meaning preeminent, first of all things, Remember, Jesus was never created. We have to, have to understand the reality of that. Verse 16, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile. There's the word. To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. How is it that we see, understand, believe and trust in the glory of God that is seen in Jesus Christ, how do we do that right now? Is understanding the grace and truth of God in Jesus Christ. What's the truth? God is absolutely, perfectly holy and in our darkness, in our sin, in our under condemnation, under God's just wrath, as children of disobedience, we deserve hell. That's the truth. What's the grace? That Jesus took on flesh for one purpose. So that in that flesh, he would go to hell on the behalf of those who would trust and believe in him. That he would bear the full wrath of God. That he would take our sins on himself. That he who knew no sin would become sin so that we could receive his righteousness, his holiness. The reason why the Word took on flesh was to die so that those of God's elect could live. That's it. That's the Gospel. That's everything. It's the reconciliation and peace. And there's nothing more glorious there's nothing more wonderful than to worship Jesus Christ as the one who brought peace, who brought reconciliation, who displays the truth and the grace of God. That's the only Jesus Christ who can save. And that is the Jesus Christ of the Scriptures. Let us Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have made us alive. Father, we thank you that you have given us eyes to see, ears to hear. Father, we pray that you will continue to grow our understanding and that we would hold on the life-giving and light-shining truth and grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, fully God, becoming fully man, so that our sins could be fully paid for, so that your wrath could be fully satisfied, and so that your full righteousness and holiness would be credited to us who have received how wonderful you are, O oh God. 
in Christ's wonderful name.